are looking at the whole thought of a launching pad, and it has to do with the future. There's been a, a thought on my heart this week that the future is not just something that we enter, but it's something we create. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the young man who was apprehended and taken from home. As he's carted off, he looks back and he realizes that life will never be the same again. You see, the evil of Babylon has now taken over Jerusalem as this young man is taken from his home. Jerusalem, the place that had the Temple of Solomon known as the city on a hill, blessed of God, now overtaken by a very different culture, the culture of Babylon. It's around 605 B.C., and it was at that time that the world as they knew it changed. So the future was not just something they were going to enter, but they had to find what it meant to also create the future. We'll come back to the idea of Babylon, but let's think about our own country. All of us readily admit it's just not what it used to be. We are amazed at what we see happening in this culture. We are amazed at what we see happening across the United States. Especially when we reflect on our history. Just a visit to Washington, D.C. You can go to the Library of Congress and you'll see this as you go in. Pictures coming on the screen for you. It's an amazing picture to me. That's Moses with the Ten Commandments in the Library of Congress. Let's go to the next picture. That's Moses again, right on the Supreme Court. The next picture, it's a mantle and it's called the prayer mantle that is in the White House. The next, the very familiar Washington Monument. And at the very top, there's this capstone. It's a couple of words in Latin, very accurately defined as praise be to God. It is amazing to see the very clear imprint, and I should say the impact imprint of God, on this country. This is our origin. This is the heart of those who, who got this culture and country moving forward. But now we all agree it's just not the place it used to be. And so the question is, do we just simply enter the future or do we have a part in creating the future? I think we have a similar circumstance as did the people of God who are now in a Babylonian culture. And perhaps some reflection on that culture and those people would give a workable lead to what we may need to do with our own followership of Jesus Christ. 
Let me quote from Beth Moore, who's done extensive study about the culture of Babylon. She says, it became an entirely new world. Speaking of the people of God, they found themselves in a place of very different values. Through the paintbrush of scripture, we see her rise from the dust. Babylon rises, robes herself in riches, paints her face like a woman of the night. Make no mistake, she aims to seduce. Posing as the beautiful life, she morphs into the current image of what every worldly man and woman wants to be. Popular. Desirable. Yes, Babylon is not only popular and desirable, but intoxicating. And did I say religious? Oh, yes. She believes in so much of everything that no that one would be hard-pressed to tell if she believes in anything. She is dressed for success, but beneath the veneer, she is a lifeless mannequin, a fake, a poser. Her prop is the devil himself. At one time, her garment was 56 miles of impenetrable walls, framing some 200 square miles of state-of-the-art dwellings, teeming entertainment centers, thriving businesses, at least three palaces, and extravagant temples to numerous gods. But somewhere along the way, she ceased to be only a place. She became a mentality and a deadly one. Few can resist Babylon's charm. Few have a firm enough hold on reality not to fall to her pretense. There are some who hold their place in Scripture because they held their place before God, and Daniel is one of those people. But what about now and what about us? Now that we have the influence of a culture of extravagance and excess, will we have the conviction of the Spirit of God to follow God, to follow God, the living Lord Jesus, honoring Him in the midst of a culture doesn't believe he's necessary. The blood that was shed by men and women, that we might have the freedom to do exactly what we're doing today. For the blood that was shed by Jesus himself so that we could follow him. The question becomes, will we not follow him because it's too easy? A few years ago, we were in Cairo, Egypt, and on a Sunday like this, we were taken to a community, into a church where that morning we would minister the word. I was amazed at how that church began to fill up, and then authorities came in and apprehended all of our passports because there was a lot of commotion 
around that church. As I sat on the platform that day, I noticed this man who had such a vitality of Christ about him. I inquired about that man and I was told that he's an extraordinary follower of Christ who often would go into Libya. And every time he would go, his closest friends and family would say bye because they didn't expect to see him return because it was such a risky ministry responsibility that he was taking. Nothing easy about it. What challenges me is that the places where Christianity is growing the fastest are the places where it's hardest to be a Christian. Here in the Babylonian influence, where it's easy, we're plateauing or in decline. We're struggling to fight off apathy. We're struggling to not be lukewarm. In a land of opportunity, a place of freedom to declare the unsearchable riches of a God so good that when he would give his only son, we now can take him or leave him. My prayer today is come Holy Spirit and deal with us. Deal with our American heart. Deal with the condition of our spirit. The level of our passion. I think our primary goal as individuals is to live in an extravagant, excessive culture without being poisoned by it. I think this is a good place to once again remember the words of Paul. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I read to you from the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let's pause right there and see Paul saying to brothers and sisters, why? Because this is the 12th chapter. It was in chapters 4 and 5 that they found Christ. It was in chapters 4 and 5 that grace overwhelmed them and they became followers. So now he's saying, let's take it to the next level. He says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me give you those same two verses in the message paraphrase. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you 
develops well-formed maturity in you. Can we say amen to the word of God? My passionate challenge is this. If we claim we believe in God, then we must live the life. Too many people in this country claim to believe, but don't live the life. You can find statistics anywhere from 84 to 94% of this country who claim belief in God. But if 84 to 94% lived out the belief in God, then this country would not be in the struggle it's in today. So there's a dichotomy. There is a hypocrisy. There is an embracing of a cultural Christianity that is not Christianity. When 94% can claim to believe in God and yet have no life change, they have embraced a cultural Christianity which is neither Christian and certainly not biblical. And may we be careful right here at the assembly that we have not pulled up to cafeteria Christianity and we just pick and choose what we want rather than honoring God and his word to us as followers of the way. We need to live what we believe. I think to help us a good prayer would be, God, why would you please restore a reverent fear in our hearts for you? Not that we would be scared of him. I don't want to raise my kids to be afraid of God. I don't want these choice young people to be afraid of God. But I don't want to turn God into our buddy. I don't want to turn God uh, let me say it this way, reshape him into our image. The calling of Scripture is that we are transformed, that we do not try to reduce God or reshape God into our own image. You see, influenced by Babylon, we'll shape him into a God that we need only when something is broken rather than a God that we love and honor and serve. Regardless the circumstance of our present life. God, bring back a, a holy fear. And, and he's ready to do that if we would pray that and truly desire that. Not scared of him, but in awe of him. Amen. A respect, an overwhelming sense that he is God. It troubles me that even demons tremble. At the name of God. But I see how seldom my heart trembles. God's working me over. I pray he could work us all over. I, ruin me God in a good way. Deal with me God in a deep way. I don't need to go into tomorrow the Christian I have been. I need to go into tomorrow with a renewed fear of an awesome God. It says the more I know him, the closer I get to him, the more awesome he becomes. 
You all had people in your life that you greatly respect. And maybe you only knew them from a distance. But circumstances worked out where you could really get close to them. And the closer you got to them, the more your respect grew for them. Because you found them to be up close even greater than what you perceived from a distance. You see, that's the thing about God. The closer we get, the greater he becomes. The more awesome, magnificent. I mean, we have the privilege of drawing near to the God who said, let there be light. And light took off at 186,000 miles per second. This is the God who spoke and that word is still traveling today. This is the God known as the Ancient of Days, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who has no one like him beside him and certainly not above him. The God of all gods, the God of Scripture, the God who gave his only son, that son who came, lived, and died, and rose again, and threw open the gate so that whosoever will may come. This God, this is the God I'm talking about. Let us draw near with a sincere heart to this God. Because the closer we get, the more overwhelmed we'll be with his character power and nature the more awe of God there will be in our hearts maybe we don't fear him because we don't know him or maybe we don't fear him enough because we don't know him at a level that we can know him with the competing voices of a Nebuchadnezzar world we must be diligent I would say that helping us to live what we believe is the fear of God and then to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you without condition. Cultural Christianity puts conditions on God. I shake in my soul to even say that. But I've lived to see it. God, if you do this, I'll do this. Or God... I'll serve you in these areas, but I'll keep this area to myself. God, I can see where I need to honor you in my relationships, but, but I don't want to talk money with you. God, I can see where I can come and put something in the plate on occasion, but don't talk to me about my time. I don't want to hold that discussion. We, we have conditions. It explains the weakness of the body of Christ in America because we've put conditions. Forgetting he's the one who imposes conditions. Not us. Could we get anywhere near Abraham? Who in the book of Genesis around the 22nd chapter, let's put it on the screen. This, this just ruins me. He had taken his only son at the word of God to the top of Mount Moriah. And because of his obedience, no conditions, just God spoke to his heart and he was going to do what God said. So then God said, don't lay a hand on the boy. 
Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Let's think for a moment what it would be like to serve as a faith family in this community. If we all had this fear of God that was saying the the more I know him, the more awesome he becomes and the more humble I become and the more I want to serve him, the more I'm drawn. He's like a magnet and, and I have no conditions. Lord, everything that I am, everything that I have, any hope of the future, any issue of the past, I bring it before you. I I put my everyday life as an offering at your feet. Can you imagine? We live in such a disobedient country. So the darkness is, is thickened because of disobedience. So what could be a major shining light? An obedient church. That puts no conditions. Lord, we will serve you without conditions. We are yours. We're going to follow you. Cultural Christianity knows nothing of what I'm preaching today. I mean nothing. It, It doesn't even know how to filter this sermon. It probably will shut it out. But I'm going to be a voice in the wilderness. Cultural Christianity is not Christianity. Putting conditions on God is a cultural Christianity. It is finding our own way to whatever God has been developed in our own thinking. And when we no longer like how he's treating us, we will shift and find another. Back to the God, Jehovah The God of Scripture, the God of gods, no more consumer Christianity where I use God so that he can fix what's broken about me. But I don't need the part of God that would seek to change me. Daniel, what an amazing, amazing young man and right on up through the years as we watch you hear as he's introduced to this culture this Nebuchadnezzar culture this culture of excess and extravagance that he refused to partake of the menu provided because he had set apart God as the Lord of his heart he said I'm not going to take the food that's been offered to idols he then offered a subsequent plan and said see if not in a few days I'm not still the person you're really looking for I have lived in deep wonder of all that it means when in Daniel 6 It's Darius who says of Daniel, you have an excellent spirit. What does it mean when when the scripture says of a man he had an excellent spirit? Is it no doubt God's spirit? 
an Old Testament visitation of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of quality. It speaks of characteristics, not of a man's skill set, but a man's quality of character. People tried to find, created conspiracy, couldn't, couldn't find even a hint. I mean, such integrity right in the midst of that Babylonian culture. And so today we're still talking about Daniel. Even today. What kind of life should we feel summoned to by the Holy Spirit as we survey the pages of Scripture and see the life that those devoted followers of Christ live? What, what's the calling in our heart? We're going to have to serve God for real. Churches on every block. First church, second church, and third church. Every kind of church store you can imagine. Bible book stores. 24-7 internet stream of any biblical resource you could imagine. And yet we live in a country today more biblically illiterate than it's ever been. I... I invite you on a journey with me over the next several weeks. A journey where we will say, okay, so we're on a launching pad. This isn't about church success. This isn't about surface things. This is about launching into a God-centeredness that compels us to where we could lead a movement of righteousness, holiness, godliness. Take a trip back through Isaiah 6. Isaiah is in the temple. And the temple is filled with the glory of God. It says, the train of his robe filled that temple And everything began to shake. The angelic hosts were declaring the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. For the whole earth is full of his glory. It ruined Isaiah in a good way. Because it was that atmosphere that caused him to say, oh God... Whoa, it's me. And the Lord saw that heart. And calls from the altar touched him where he needed it most. Then God began to describe a culture that was desperate for his influence. And Isaiah didn't say, how much will it cost me if I go for you? What would be involved in serving you in this assignment? No, when God said, who will go? Because a man had been ruined in a good way by the glory of God. Isaiah quickly says, here am I. You don't have to look any farther. I'll go. And immediately God started to pour in what needed to be said. 
And so here today, we're still talking about Isaiah. Oh, God, come strong in this place. Let your glory fill this place. Let your holy Shekinah presence fall fresh upon our hearts until we are ruined in a good way, until we can never be the same again, until we are repulsed by a cultural Christianity. Till we say, I'm going to serve you no options. I'm going to live in a reverent fear of you that motivates me to honor you regardless of cost. And though it's still easy right now to serve you, I will not not let the easiness breed an apathy. And something tells me it's not always going to be easy. If you study what is happening in our culture, it very, very well make it more and more difficult. So we better find our magnetic north spiritually before the storm hits. Because we don't wait until the storm to find out what we believe. We find out what we believe and in whom we believe and whom we are persuaded who is able to keep that which we've committed unto him right in the midst of the day of trial. Satan, I want to declare there's a church that will not be content with cultural Christianity. Lukewarmness of heart. Stir us, O God, that we might be stirred. The psalmist one time realized He was in such a condition, instead of saying, Lord, I will turn to you, he said, oh God, turn me that I might be turned. Lord, I have lost the potential to turn myself, but if you'll turn me, I shall be turned. I'm praying, turn us, oh God, that we might be turned. Turn us back to holiness and turn us back to righteousness and turn us back to passionate, full devotion and turn us back to miracles and turn us back to the fire of the Holy Spirit and turn us back to the altar. Turn us, oh God, that we might be turned. Oh, if you're passionate for that, If you desire that, if you want him, if you want him, if you desire him, if you long for more of him, would you close your eyes with me in his presence and let's make our petition known. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. I feel we need to turn this place into a a giant prayer meeting. You may feel, i got to get to the altar. Then come. And come now. Come. You may say, I've got to turn my seat into an altar. Then get out of that seat, turn around, and make it an altar. Make it an altar. If there's something burdening your heart through this message, it resonates with you, then I invite you to respond. Just clap at at a word. Respond. To his essence for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. You are the risen, incredible, mighty King. And you are high and exalted. You are mighty and you are transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, pure, righteous, good. And I humble myself before you I humble myself before you come Holy Spirit I am asking the Holy Spirit to come because it's the office and function of the Holy Spirit to elevate Jesus in our thinking 
raise Christ back to that place in our hearts that he and he alone deserves. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We declare that we are yours. We declare we'll serve you no options, no conditions, no recourse, no prenuptial agreement with you. We're yours. We're yours. I lift my hands. I declare my heart to you out of a reverent fear that you're God. You're Messiah. You are King. The very Lamb, and yet at the same time, the Lion. The Shepherd. The Morning Star. The fairest of 10,000. My rock, shelter, fortress, and hiding place. Shield, deliverer, mighty God, that is who you are. And I declare you over this house. I declare you over our hearts. The one who is peace that surpasses understanding. The one who is all knowledge, wisdom of the ages, the one who has power, such power that you told the water its boundaries, you breathed into the very lungs of Adam and Eve, life giver. The restorer of that which has been broken down, that which the enemy has ravaged. The restorer of biblical principle. The restorer of the ways of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Write the story once again on our hearts. On our hearts, oh God, write the story. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 I would like to leave in a corporate prayer of repentance for cultural Christianity. I'm going to repent as a spiritual leader for in any way contributing to that that thought process where you see in your heart a cultural influence rather than a biblical. Why don't you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I repent. Lord, your word says that godly sorrow worketh repentance. And repentance doesn't lead us to condemnation, but to cleansing 
and a fresh start. So before you, Lord, I repent. I repent for the cultural Christianity that we so often embrace. And I repent of my role in, in any way conveying that that is acceptable. We want you. We want biblical Christianity. Ruin me, Lord, in a good way, just like you did Isaiah. I want to be a, a whole different kind of spiritual leader for my wife and my kids and for my church. I declare that this launching pad emphasis is going to go way beyond the surface. It's going to have some spiritual teeth. We'll bite into the issues that need to be dealt with. And as we personally launch to new places in you, you'll launch us as a church to a new place in kingdom advancement. Because we'll want one thing, and that is for your name to be known, your name to be glorified, people saved, disciples made, the community and the world changed. Hallelujah.